The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. I mentioned Carlton. He is one of the pastors at Grace Fellowship Church there in Anniston. Uh, Carlton has been pastoring Grace Fellowship Church since 2003, a church that was planted out of a small group that had been meeting in uh, his home at the time. And so it says that, you know, over the last 20 years, they've seen the Lord be faithful uh, and very kind to Grace, Grace Fellowship, seeing many people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is through the ministry that has happened there. Carlton has been married for 25 years to his wife, Amy. They have five children, one child-in-law, as his oldest daughter, Hannah Grace, was recently married. Did I say it right over the weekend? Is it December? Did they get married in December? So, and hopefully very soon to add a daughter-in-law so to, his son, uh, to his son, Noah. Uh, also has Lily, Hope, and Lottie Moon. Uh, he enjoys the outdoors. I mentioned this at One Life Weekend. He enjoys CrossFit. And listen, out of love for me and for Tom, you cannot tell that to Michael. You cannot tell Pastor CrossFit, I mean, Cross White, <laughs> that another pastor came here and does CrossFit. If you love us, you'll sit on that information. He also enjoys reading. He enjoys spending time with others. He says if he could do one thing in ministry and one only, that would be to study and to preach God's word, saying that it has been the biggest tool in the hands of God, both to transform him personally and those to whom he has had the delight of ministering to. His preaching text for us this morning is Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17. I will read that, and Carlton will come and preach to us. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I would like to thank uh, Jeremy and the other pastors for asking me to be a part of your service and your gathering. And um, I met uh, Jeremy through a phone call that, uh, or an email, actually, I think in the spring. He just reached out and said, uh, we need a camp preacher. And we got on the Nine Marks website and your church is near Shaco and we listen to you preach. And so we're extending an offer for you to come. And so... I did that, and it's just been a great, great uh, partnership, and I appreciate him and also Alberta Baptist and their kindness to me, and I hope that you'll extend the same kindness. I know that it's always awkward a little bit when someone comes that's not a part of your fellowship, and it really should be that way. You have a great pastor here who preaches to you the word. You have great staff and, and other uh, leaders who love you and care for you, and I'm an outsider. So, um, you know, uh, brother in Christ, but not, don't know each of you personally. But the one thing we share in common, I know, is that we are, have been saved by Jesus Christ. And so we're a part of a family. And so I represent another part of the family, just a, just a couple hours up the road. And I'm, I'm glad to be here. And this speaks to, and the prayer that was prayed was so beautiful, in the Catholicity 
Uh, don't get scared of that word. The joint uh, universal nature of the church. You notice your church leaders are praying for churches all over Tuscaloosa. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, we want the church to grow, whether it grows right here in Emmanuel or if Emmanuel is a part of other churches growing in the name of Jesus Christ by their prayers and their labors. Christ is building his church, and it's a wonderful thing. And so I bring you greetings from Grace Fellowship, and now I'll get busy preaching. My friend Seth's here. My dad it drove over from Columbus, and he's with us. But uh, Seth told me right before I came up here, uh, preach good, don't waste my time, and, and be fast. <laughs> Seth helped us plant the church at Grace Fellowship years ago, and uh, it's been great to visit with him this weekend. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. Um, you, you know, I'm coming uh, from the outside. I don't know where you are in the text of Scripture, but I did choose a sugar stick. Uh, this is, if you've been around church long enough, it's like you choose certain texts, right? And when you do ministry the way we do, we walk through books of the Bible. And so we've been in Romans now since uh, 2022, we're in chapter 11, and, uh, and, and we, I backed up to chapter 1 because I wanted a text that I know would um, fit, your, fit your need today. It would fit exactly where you are in your walk with God. How do I know that? Because it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek another word for Gentile for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith the apostle Paul had a great desire to preach the gospel in what was the greatest city in his world he had longed to be in Rome for a long time and had been prevented providentially from going there. We know he does end up in Rome, not uh, on the, uh, on the uh, easiest path, right? He's under arrest. He goes to Rome. He preaches the gospel finally, but he hasn't been to Rome yet. This isn't a church that, that Paul founded, but it's a ministry uh, church that was founded there in Rome by other believers, probably believers who were from Rome, uh, from Paul's ministry, who went back to Rome, having been kind of sent out of the city by the Gentile leaders. That all of the Jewish Christians were run out under persecution under one emperor, and then were allowed to come back. And it's probably during that time that the Church of Rome was planted. So though Paul doesn't know them personally, he knows them because they believe in the same Christ he believes in. They've been saved by the same power of the gospel that he has been saved. He also, and we, we often forget the context, Romans is not a theology textbook. I know uh, someone's told you in the past that Romans is the most theological of Paul's letters, and it's definitely the most, um, you know, uh, we might say, the, uh, the clearest presentation of the gospel from A to Z in Paul's writings. But it is a missionary letter. The Apostle Paul is writing the letter to the Roman church to let them know, hey, I believe the same gospel you believe. I plan to come see you, and by seeing you, I expect that you'll give me support. Isn't that a great missionary move? I suspect you'll give me missionary support so that I can go to places where the gospel has never been preached. He had a desire to get to Spain, and he wanted to preach the gospel there. And so it's a missionary letter. It's a letter calling for the obedience of the Gentiles. He's working and laboring that the Gentiles might be obedient to the faith. And so all of that said, he comes to verse 16, 
And he's just said in verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then he says, for. It's a grounding statement. For I am not ashamed. The gospel is not something to be ashamed of, the Apostle Paul says. Why, why would he even bring shame up about the gospel? Well, because often the gospel um, is, is, is an agent by which we are shamed by the world. It doesn't promote power in the individual or in the group in which the church in which it's working. This, this gospel that is being preached doesn't promote our personal power or advantage or riches. It promotes the power of our king. It promotes the power of his church. It promotes the power of our great God. And so often, people that have, have believed in Christ are seen as weak. They are often, if we're honest with ourselves, not the most intellectually elite of any society. Why would Paul bring up shame? Well, he, he doesn't have power to wield. And power is the name of the game in the Roman Empire of his day. He, he doesn't really have power for himself. He wields the power of the king through the message of the gospel. He doesn't have uh, necessarily the, the thought process of the Gentiles. It's not that Paul is uh, uber intelligent. This isn't to say everybody that's a Christian is not intelligent. This is the view of the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but... Christian views and Christian worldviews are not seen in our day nor in Rome as the elite thought processes and worldviews of the world. We're seen often as contrary to the way they see things. We're often seen as outsiders to the way that the world thinks. And so it's easy to be ashamed. Ashamed, quiet, downfaced. Just slip in, do my business in the city, and slip back out. Quietly, unseen, unheard, not, you know, not trying to make a lot, you know, Christians often can fall in temptation like, I just don't want to be known. I want to be a Christian, but I want to be known as a Christian. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, why ashamed of the gospel? Because the gospel preaches a message of our humiliation and Christ's exaltation. We're sinners. We are born in sin, we're captive to our sin, we're incapable of setting ourselves free, and in this weakness, Christ is elevated as the great deliverer of his people. And so, as we look at it, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's not your personal testimony. The gospel is not your personal testimony. Your personal testimony is, is important. And if you're an evangelist, I hope that you know how to share your personal testimony with those around you in a way that brings the, your personal story to light to show how God can transform any of us. But that's not the good news. The good news is the historical record of Christ crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. That Jesus Christ... According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I've delivered to you the thing that is most important. Christ was born of Mary. He lived his life. He was crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and has now ascended back to heaven. And he was seen in that time between his resurrection and ascension by over 500 witnesses, and he will come again, which is the whole matter in 1 Corinthians 15 about the bodily resurrection 
and Christ being raised first. So, the gospel is news which we deliver to the world. The gospel is not something that I did, you did, or any of us did. The gospel is what God has done. John Piper has said the gospel is God. God is the gospel. The contents of the gospel have been designed by God from all eternity to emphasize and highlight His greatness, His majesty, His mercy, His grace, His love. It's a message about God, and it's a message for God, first and primary, to exalt Him. And, thank the Lord, it also is a message that, when preached faithfully, brings about the salvation of those in need of salvation. People like me and people like you. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel because why? Because it was the power of God. The gospel is not to be ashamed of. The gospel is the power of God. And, and this power that he's speaking of, you know, in a context of the Roman Empire where Rome was always, the Caesar was always focused on power, Paul says there's one great power. That's the power of the gospel of God in this world. The gospel is powerful to overcome our sin, which has separated us from God and has alienated us as enemies of God. The power of God in the gospel is that he overcomes the separation between us. The power of the gospel is that he breaks free the sinner. He makes the sinner free. If you've been saved, you were saved from a wealth of sin. You were saved from, from your, your previous life prior to Christ. You didn't come to Christ with something to offer. You came to Christ with nothing. You came to Christ with no hope. You came to Christ with no, no, uh, no advantage, no righteousness of your own. If you've come to Christ in the gospel, everything about your salvation is predicated on the work of God completed in Christ in historical time and given to you as a gift of His grace. You have he says, the very power of God for your salvation in the gospel. So the gospel is not something to be ashamed of. The gospel is powerful. It's the power of God for salvation. But the gospel is universal. The gospel is not just for one group of people, one church of people. It's not for just the, the Jews or just the Gentiles. It's for everyone. The gospel is powerful to save everyone. It's power. Paul says, look, this isn't some tribal deity that I serve. Yahweh is not just concerned with the Jews. Yahweh is not just concerned even with the Gentiles. Yahweh is concerned with all mankind, that they hear the powerful gospel of Christ. And in hearing, they believe. Notice, it is for everyone, what? It's modified there, who believes. The power means nothing if you reject it. The power means everything if by God's grace you have been accepted in the beloved. It's for everyone who believes. The power, the gospel is not something to be ashamed of. It is, the gospel is the power of God and the gospel is universal. It's for everyone. The Jew first and then the Greeks. I, I, we're, we're in chapter 11. This morning David Ryan's preaching uh, there and I was there last week and we're walking our way through chapter 11 
And one of the beautiful things Paul does in chapters 9 through 11 is shows how God is working among his original covenant people, the Jews, even though many of them, most of them, in Paul's day were not being saved, the remnant was being saved, and he makes a promise and says to to the uh, priest it last week that God is going to gather in the Jewish people of the world in the generation which Christ returns in mass. There's yet an in gathering of Jews coming. The priority of Jewish ministry in Paul's ministry, though he's the minister to the Gentiles, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Make no mistake about it. If you read the uh, uh, the uh, record of Acts, which Luke writes about Paul's ministry. You will see that in every town he goes first where? To the synagogue. Why? Because the gospel is for the Jews first. And he preached there as long as he was welcome, which really wasn't very long often. Maybe one Sabbath, maybe two. And the Jewish leaders removed him. They would kick him out. And then he would go into the market then and preach to the Gentiles. He would preach to everyone who would hear him at that point. God is working to save his people from the Jews and from the Gentiles. The power of the gospel is on display universally for everyone who believes, both Jews and Greeks. Now, verse 16 is the easy part of the text. We've outlined it. We've walked through it. We're not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is universal. It's for everyone, Jew and Greek. But then we come to verse 17. In verse 17, really I just want to make one point on this text. And that is this. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Has that ever struck you as like not what you expected? Listen to how it might have been read. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek For in the gospel, it is referring to the gospel. For in the gospel, listen to how it might have been written. The love of God is revealed. Isn't the gospel the love of God? Absolutely it's the love of God. Paul wouldn't have been wrong to write about the love of God in this place. Matter of fact, in other places he does do that. In Romans chapter 5, he does. He said, for God loved us even while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So the gospel doesn't not emphasize the love of God. It could have said the love of God emphasizes, I mean, the, the, the gospel uh, reveals the right, the, it reveals the mercy of God, reveals the grace of God. But why righteousness? Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 17 was the text that Martin Luther hated. He hated it because he didn't understand it. Being a Roman Catholic, he had been taught that righteousness was earned. And so, as hard as he had striven in all of his life, he had never earned one ounce of righteousness. And he came to this text, studying alongside it, the psalmist's writings, and he says, I hate this text because it reveals the righteousness of God. There's no hope for me if God's righteousness is revealed. I'm not righteous. I have no righteousness to offer. As hard as I have worked for righteousness, righteousness has escaped me. I am unholy, not holy. If the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, then we have a problem. The biggest problem that you face, I face, and the world faces is the righteousness of God. 
God is not able to simply overlook our sin. God is not able to just be like a grandfather and say, you know what, I know it's been a rough day, but let's have ice cream anyway. God is not able to bring us before his tribunal, his justice seat, his judgment bench, and say, you know, you did everything there is to do to break my law. But I'm a loving God. I'll just let you off. If he does, then he's unrighteous. He's not just. The fact is, is that God's justice has to be satisfied. His righteousness has to be dealt with. He is a requirement for you. If you have gathered in this place and you don't belong to Jesus, may I just tell you, you are condemned. You sit under the condemnation of God. His wrath hangs over you. God is not at peace with you. And you are not at peace with God. At any moment, you can face God. And if you face Him on your own terms, He will not acquit you of one wrongdoing, but He will give to you the full measure of His wrath against your sin. If you're here and you've gathered in this building for any number of reasons other than you love Jesus Christ and you're saved by His grace, may I just tell you, you stand over the wrath of God and the wrath of God stands over you and you have no hope in yourself. You say, well, I'm a pretty decent guy or lady. I mean, you know, I, I know much worse people yeah the problem is those people are not the measuring rod problem is when you stand at the bench of God's justice he won't look at exhibit A, B, C and say yeah you know D over here is a little better maybe we'll just let it slide there's one standard and that standard is God's righteousness you and I have no ground to stand on in front of God. We have no hope if the righteousness of God is simply revealed in, in the sense of like a judgment against us. We're guilty. So why would Paul say, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith? Because what he's going to do in this letter is show us that the righteousness of God is satisfied only by the righteous Son of God who willingly took on flesh and dwelt among us. And the people beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. They're, what, what they're going to read in this letter is that God doesn't ignore His justice, He satisfies His justice. If we look forward, just hold your place in Romans 1 and look at Romans 3. We see it in, in the tightest paragraph of the letter, potentially, the real crux of the message in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, there it is again, has been manifested apart from the law. So in the Old Covenant, God revealed His character through the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith, there it is again, He brings it up. You notice He's 
beating this drum over and over again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Sounds very familiar to Romans 1, 17, 16 and 17, doesn't it? Look what he says, because he answers our question. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous, by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfactory sacrifice by the blood to be received by his blood, to be received by faith. So what Paul says about the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel is that that righteousness took on flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus lived the righteous life we could not live, and then paid the price we should have paid, he satisfied the wrath of God against God's people. And now he is both just and the justifier of those who believe in him. God doesn't do away with his justice. God satisfies his justice and makes us righteous in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of this gospel, Paul said. Because I don't come to you with a message about my goodness, my greatness. I don't come to you talking about my power or talking about my advantages as a Jew even. I come to you to talk to you about the righteousness of God. His name is Jesus Christ. And in Him, all of the promises of God have been yes and amen. And in Him, all of the law has been satisfied to its fullest. And in Christ, I stand not not guilty, but guilty and forgiven. Had God simply said, you know, we're just going to slide your sin to the side and not pay it attention for now. You just can come on in. How would we ever know that there wouldn't come a day where God rightly would say, you know, you've done enough of this sinning. You've messed up for the last time. We're bringing all the record back. I mean, unless you think as a Christian you don't sin anymore, and we need to have another conversation but if God just at the moment you were saved said, you know what, let's just don't worry about your sin. Put it over here to the side. Let's just keep on going. I'll love you and you can be a part of my family. But then you sin the next day, right? And you sin the next day and you sin the next hour and you sin the next minute. How do you ever know if he's just ignored what you're due? How do you ever know if he won't say finally, rightly, justly? You've done too much. I tried to let it slide, but I can't let it slide. So now you're guilty, and here's all the guilt and all the punishment. That'd be a miserable way to live, wouldn't it? And that's what some Christian, so-called Christian systems do, is they say, for now, the penalty's set to the side, but you've got to work your way to sanctification and acceptance and love with God. And you just got to follow the path. If you don't follow it perfectly, my friend, you need, you're in trouble. Well, that's, that's just burdens. That's heaping us up with burdens. Because all of us know we continue, as much as we hate it, to fail. We do continue to fail, even though we hate it. But see, that's not what God did. He revealed His righteousness in Christ by doing this. By saying to us in the moment of our salvation... 
you are guilty of offending me in every way. And you felt that guilt. You felt that shame. You felt in the moment, before, right before you were converted, right before you were regenerated, you felt the weight of your sin. It was as if you were being pressed down into hell right there. And then the great words of God were, but I have satisfied your penalty in the Savior. But God, being what? Rich in mercy. Now, friends, he did not just slide our sin to the side and say, you know, we'll just, we'll just act like it didn't happen. He said, I know all that you've done. I know every sin you've committed. And I've paid for each one in my son. So you're guilty. But here your punishment has been paid in full. And so you are free. Welcome to the family. So when, Christians, we hear the gospel, and we need it as much as anybody, we need it more than most, what we hear is the righteousness of God for us. Why? Because faith in Christ has equaled freedom, acceptance, and salvation in Christ. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, he, he, he writes it, this is quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. He, he, he writes this whole letter really as a response or a full-length a full kind of sermon on Habakkuk. He's explaining how it is that he can be the righteousness that we live by, this faith. The, it, it basically, it could be better understood if it was that the righteous man shall live by righteousness, by the righteousness of Christ. Because you have faith in Christ, you live by the righteousness of Christ. This, this text really solved the problem for not only Martin Luther, but for many of you. It solves the problem by, again, showing us the power of God in the gospel. Showing us the universal nature of God's offer of the gospel. It's to all who believe. Showing us the righteousness of God. And in faith, now, we live by the righteousness of Christ. It's the hope of those who will be saved. The gospel is the hope of those who will be saved. And I just have to ask you, as we prepare to close, is this understanding of the gospel your understanding? Is this what you came to when you came to Christ? You came knowing that you sat under the wrath of God, knowing that you deserved hell and punishment forever, and yet... God had satisfied himself by himself in his son and now is offering you righteousness you can live by. You can live by. Listen, whenever you live your life as a Christian, the gospel is what you live by. But let me close by just offering you this as Christians, fellow brothers and sisters. 
what happens in you when you sin? What, what, what's, what, what's the you know, heart level? What happens? Well, I can tell you what I deal with at our church, maybe, and, and maybe we're odd. But what often happens when our people sin is their first instinct is to run from God. Their first instinct, even as Christians, is like to be away from God's presence because they know they, they've sinned, they failed, and they're embarrassed, they're ashamed. It's kind of their reflex, it's the human reflex. It's like, oh, I can't, I can't be with God now because I've done wrong. And then the next thing that young Christians in our church usually do is they start trying to earn God's love. You know, they failed, and they say, Lord, I'm sorry, and they hide, and they, and they begin to work their way back to the good graces of God. And then the next move that they make is they will come to confess to me or someone else in accountability, and they'll say, you know, I, I really messed up last week, and I did this particular sin again. And when I did, I felt so bad about it, but since then, I've been doing better, and they begin to read out, you know, the things that they do. A lot of our ministry at Grace Fellowship is helping people get over the PTSD of bad preaching and bad, bad teaching in the South. Because when you sin, you shouldn't run from God as his child. You should run to him. God loves you as much the moment you sin as he loved you before that sin was committed. Not one thing has changed. Not one thing. You say, well, you just don't know what I did. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. I can promise you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, your elder brother, Jesus Christ, loves you the same. And what he wants from you is to come to him. He wants you to come. Not clean yourself up and then come. He wants you to come in all the filth so that he can cleanse you and forgive you of all your sin. Again, anew, refreshed. Listen, that's what it means to live by the gospel. To live on the righteousness of the gospel. It's not my righteousness that I'm living on. It's Christ's righteousness. And so, when a sinner, when a sin is committed by a Christian, they don't run from God, they run to Him. They go to Christ and tell it all. Christ cleanses it, and then they walk in the light as he is in the light. And they have fellowship with one another. So what we want at Grace Fellowship, and I'm sure it's what your pastors want is, I told the students this this weekend, we want our church to be a place with a lot of messed up people who are saved by the blood of Jesus and coming together, not denying that they're messed up, but confessing that they're messed up. Not running from it, but running into Christ's arms and into the local church. So they run to Christ and they press into the church and what do they receive? Fellowship. When we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the power of the gospel. Living on faith. Living on the righteousness of Christ's record, not mine. This is what it means. And when we do that, we walk in the light as He is in the light. And if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The power of the gospel is to set us free from sin, the shame and the sin itself, and the way he does it is through the righteousness of Christ, not mine, his. 
not just today, but every day. And so when I fail, I run to him, and I run to Christian brothers and sisters, and I live openly and transparently before them. Because when we walk in the light, instead of hiding in the dark, we have fellowship with God, but we have fellowship with one another. One of the great joys of my week, uh, every other week, we have elders meeting, and sometimes more than half of the elders meeting is the elders dealing with our own sin. Maybe that makes you think less of us. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Why? Because no matter how mature you become in the faith, what you really need is to be continually reminded that as a sinner, you need to come clean and walk in the light and you need to be assured of God's pardon of your sin again and again. And then we spend a lot more of the meeting dealing with the known sins and struggles of our people and praying on that, uh, on that, and talking through how to help them. Three quarters of our meeting is only that, just confession of sin and dealing with the sin of the people by praying for them and strategizing how to help them. There's this little sliver at the back end, usually, of the meeting where it's like, yeah, there's some things we should have talked about. Here's some subjects. Let's get to that, right? Elders meetings are my favorite parts of the month because they're places, it's a place where I see the gospel at powerfully working in my heart and the heart of the brothers. And that bleeds into the church. Our church is a church that lives on the gospel. And I know that's true of you. And I hope it's true of you and more and more every day. If you're a Christian and this isn't how you're living, I invite you to join us. Come on in the water. (laughs) The water of living by the power of the gospel is so soothing to your soul. If you're tired, come to Christ. If you're weary on the weight of your sin, come clean with Christ. And press in to Christ in the church that you might walk in the light with your brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Father, as we close this time in addressing this, the center of our faith, the gospel, we again are humbled at the righteousness of Christ, the perfection of Christ, the law-keeping of Christ. And, we, we stand in awe of you, Jesus, because none of us can live that way. None of us can produce any record which God would accept. On our best day, we're not good enough. And yet, you have accepted us by your own gift of righteousness. Salvation has come to us. We praise you for it. We pray, God, that we would live our lives by the gospel. Not just get saved and then move on in our life trying to rectify our failures and do a little bit better and clean ourselves up, but know that we would live every day under the power of your gospel. That we would preach it back to ourselves and to one another over and over and over again. I pray that we would be a place of safety where people could come and not be accepted because of their sin, but they can be accepted because of your righteousness and cleansed of their sins and forgiven, and that we might walk in the power of the gospel. And then, God, that we would go into the world with this message. This message that sinners are saved by the good grace of God and the power of the gospel. And in this way, we know that you will build your church as we go forward faithfully preaching this one message again and again to your own glory and for your own name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.